It is Matthew 2, starting, starting with verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? We observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star as they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. So now, without going back and looking at it, if you're looking at it, how many of the wise men were there? It doesn't say. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say how many wise men there were. It just says wise men from the east came. And the word wise men, well, that, we made that up. We don't know if they were wise at all. The word is, is, is uh, in the Greek, is M-A-G-O-I. Magoi. Which we would call, which we would have said, magi. And and in in the extra biblical literature, meaning outside of the Bible, that that word is used for a class of of folks who were probably astrologers um, of some sort who looked for signs in the sky, and they often served as advisors to those in authority. So they so even though we often say we sing a song, what is that? We three, right? They weren't kings either, as far as we know. We don't know if they really had any authority or power at all. They, they may have been bringing those gifts just because they saw the sign and they, they, wanted to, they wanted to give a gift because they believed that this was the one who was born king of the Jews. And that word is fraught with a lot of, a lot of power back then. For us, I mean, a king really for, in, in our culture, in our society, ha- that doesn't really mean much at all. For us, but back then, back then, a king had a divine right. Had been given power and authority from God. So King Herod, there's that word, King Herod had been giving, given the authority by the Caesar to take on that title for that region. And if you know anything about Herod, he was ruthless. And he held on to that power with an iron grip, and he killed anybody, including family members, who got in his way. And so his, his kingship was very fragile. So, so for someone, for these visitors to come from wherever they came from and to say, 
we're looking for the king of the Jews. He's saying, I'm the king of the Jews. No baby's going to take that away from me. Isn't it convenient that it's a baby that I can just go get rid of and nobody will notice? I do think it's interesting. So that the, these, these astrologers, they're following the star. And, and as the story goes in Matthew, they come and then they start asking around Jerusalem, which makes some sense. Because if you, to me, anyway, if you're following a star, um, that gives you a general direction, correct? I mean, unless, unless it's specifically just shining right down like a beam, and I think that's how we sometimes imagine this. But they're following the star, so they come to Jerusalem, which was, you know, a, a decent-sized city at the time. So then they start asking around. But what's interesting is then when they, when they, when they figure out, oh, it's probably Bethlehem, and they start, and they go there, then all of a sudden the star leads them exactly to the place. It's really, it's just really interesting. Uh, many people have often wondered whether, um, whether again, we've, we've mistranslated the wise men because uh, they actually asked for directions. So there probably had to be some women in the group, just, just saying. So, sorry, I had to slide that one in there on you. So, uh, yeah, so it's an interesting thing. We don't know how many. We don't know, we don't know if they were men at all. I mean, more than likely, if they traveled a long way, they had to have men with them because women would, would not have been safe in any way, shape, or form traveling uh, at, that, at, you know, at that time. And then they give gifts. And so, I want to ask you a question. What do, what do planning and presence and budgets have in common? What do they have to do with? If anybody gets this, because I made it up myself, so. Planning. Pre- did I say presents? And budgets. What might they have in common? Say, I'm sorry? Like church? Yeah, okay, church. All right. Well, I think what they have in common, at least on some level, is hope. Because if you're going to make plans, you've got to have some hope that those plans can be carried out. If you're going to take the time to give someone a present, you've got to have some hope that they're going to be able to enjoy it. If you're making a budget, it goes along with the planning. right? You're, you're forecasting out in the future because if you don't have any hope, what do you need a budget for? You know, spend it all right now. Right? And for whatever reason, in this, in this particular scripture passage, but in all the scriptures about, about the coming of Jesus and the stories around his birth, there's this, there's this underlying theme of hope. That the one who is coming would, would change things, would, would bring about something different especially for those who were underneath the control of the Romans in that empire, underneath the control of King Herod in that particular place. For some people, the, the Pax Romana was, was a wonderful thing. They, 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 they actually, you know, if they were in the right strata, strata of society, they did quite well. They were fine. They were protected. They, they didn't have to worry about being killed. They didn't, you know... 
The, the Romans had built roads and brought armies and, and so lots of stability. But for those people who weren't in favor of the Romans, it was a great time of persecution and death. Crucifixions, they would hang people out on the roadways coming into the, the settlements to send the message that you, you don't mess around here because this is what happens to you. And so for lots of people, there's, there's an oppression that's happening. And they long for something to change. They long for something to change. And then, just like now, they put their hope in all kinds of things. Maybe it's in the gods that they believed in. Maybe it was in that there was a hope for another, a better day, so maybe they traveled to another land to try to find a better, uh, a better life for their family. Maybe they put their hope in a person. But just like today... Uh, just just a person, you know, is fallible. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do the wrong thing. And maybe, just maybe when they get a taste of power, they're going to really do the wrong thing. But Jesus comes along and something happens and something changes. Because then in his, in his adult life, even after his death, and most significantly after his death, the people who followed him didn't stop believing in his power to change things. They took it upon themselves to carry forth his spirit to be different, to begin to change things from the inside. They had no power but they began to live differently. They began to care differently. They're the ones who provided food for widows and orphans. They're the ones who cared for the lepers in the leper colonies. They're the ones who took up collections for other other Christian communities who were struggling. Over time, as you've heard me talk before, it was Christians who started the first hospitals, the first schools, because we just believe in beginning to change society to live in a very different way. Why? Because we have hope. And we believe we have the power of the Holy Spirit to actually change things. And so we have to be careful, though, because we can put our hope in a program or a renovation or a particular way of doing something, or a politician, or a country. And when we put our ultimate hope in those things, we're going to be sorely disappointed. But our hope is not in any of those things. Our ultimate hope, our ultimate hope is in not a what, but a who, in Jesus and in the power of God that came in the flesh to understand and to be with us and to show us how to love, to show us how to live. It is in Him 
that we have our hope. And He has the power through the Spirit that He gives us that we can make change in our own lives. We can become better. We can be forgiven of our sin. And even though we will continue to do things wrong and incorrectly, and even though we may hurt each other, he continues to forgive us, but to show us a new and a different way of love. And so we can continue to hope even when things are at their most desperate. And so we plan and we make budgets and we give presents And we continue to look forward to a time when Jesus returns and sets everything right again so that the whole universe works together in harmony. But until that time, we cling to the hope that those magi found with his mother, a baby in a manger. May you find the hope of Christ in your life. And may you live it this day and every day. Amen.